Hello. Thanks for joining us in this episode um, of Economic Development Radio that is being produced by Crowdmap Infonomics. My name is Togozani Twala. I'm your host today, and I'm the CEO of Crowdmap Infonomics. Crowdmap Infonomics is a company that specializes in advisory, research, strategy, working with clients from both the public and the private sector. We are very pleased to be hosting this episode where today we will be interviewing Busisi Wemleje, who is the founder and the CEO of NetVest. NetVest is an advisory accounting firm that is based um, here in Johannesburg, but Busisi will tell us more about you know, her company as the founder and the CEO of the company and what she does in terms of adding value you know, to small businesses, entrepreneurs, and business owners who are trying to deal with tax issues. But we'll also just touch, you know, um, some discussion around the budget speech that was delivered by the minister on the 22nd of February, the minister of finance who delivered his budget speech for 2023. So because Busisiwe is also an expert in terms of issues that relate, you know, to tax, you know, she will also just give us, you know, a bit of some of the highlights that are very important, you know, to all of us who are entrepreneurs and business people. Busisiwe, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tozani, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here, and we are really, really looking forward to you sharing most of your insights and your knowledge, you know, with our listeners, you know, given the kind of expertise and experience that you have around this particular space. So before we jump in into, you know, the detailed discussion, will you just tell us a bit about yourself? You know, how did you get, you know, involved and interested in accounting? You know, just your journey, you know, before we even talk about, you know, your own company, which is Nedvest. Um, I come from a village called Ngonyamin in Devon. Um, so when I studied at my primary education, I never had a clue of um, what accounting was. So I had intended to become either a social worker or a teacher. Um, and I also did um, social science subjects at, at high school. So that inspired me even more to become a social worker. But when I went to the university, someone advised me, you know, to go for BCom. At that time, I had no clue what BCom was all about, you know. So I started accounting for the first time at the university. But luckily for me, I had very intelligent friends, you know, who had accounting background and they were always working very hard. So I joined that group and I worked with them, you know. Um, I guess the rest is history when it comes to now the love for accounting. But um, when I finished my degree, then I I joined. I first joined a small firm of accountants called Maharaj. Actually, I always forget this firm. Okay. So at Maharaj, you know, it was an accounting firm. It was, you know, um, uh, infested with enthusiastic accountants, you know, people who were always working hard. And that inspired me to actually even go back to the university and enroll for my owners. Then post that, I went to PwC. That's when I started my career, you know, formally, where I did my articles. Okay. And um, from there, I went to McIntyre Bank. I worked, I worked as, a, as a financial accountant. Then I moved to South African Revenue Service, where I was leading a team of, of auditors and financial investigators. So throughout that career, I learned that, you know, like at PwC, I was working with largely, um, you know, JSE listed entities where we were conducting 
audits. So there you realize the importance of compliance, the importance of corporate governance. Um, and you sort of think that all companies, you know, they always do things by book because, you know, those are the kind of entities that you get exposed to. I move to the bank, you know, you're dealing with these big accounts, you know, big balances, and you're thinking everything is good and well out there. Until I went to South African Revenue Service, that's when I realized that there are a lot of people that, you know, would start entities because they are experts in their fields, but they don't have knowledge of managing their financial affairs and tax affairs. So that's what then inspired me to start my own firm where we provide accounting and tax services. No, great. You know, it's a very interesting, you know, professional career that you had. And I think this is quite important, Bosi, you know, even for our listeners, you know, to just demonstrate that, you know, sometimes even before you start your own business, you know, you must have worked in the industry, you know, that you are hoping to provide services to. And I really like your experience, you know, working for a very small, you know, uh, accounting firm and really going, you know, to be part of, you know, one of the big four, you know, in terms of PwC and then working for McIntyre Bank, you know, which I remember it used to position itself, you know, as the bank for entrepreneurs. So you were dealing with entrepreneurs, but being on the other side, you know, um, of the table. So really great, great experience. And I'm sure, you know, that kind of professional experience did prepare you, you know, um, when then you decided to start your own business. Now, just take us a bit now, you know, back in terms of your journey, you know, where did it all start? You know, when you sort of like, you know, um, establish your own business so that our listeners can just get a sense in terms of what you have also accomplished. I know that, you know, the firm is quite successful. You know, you might be based uh, in Johannesburg, but you do work with clients all over the country and all kind of, you know, sizes of clients as well. But but just, you know, give us, you know, a bit of a sense where your journey started now as an entrepreneur and where you are today. To be quite honest, I've never seen myself as an entrepreneur because even my friends used to say they thought I was just going to sit in corporate and, you know, continue trying to climb the corporate ladder. But while I was at South African Revenue Service, some of the clients that we were investigating, I remember one of the guys, he, you know, he was in the project of building uh, houses, right? And then he was an, an, an engineer. But this guy did not have an understanding of tax compliance. And where he lived, he said there weren't enough resources, meaning they didn't have a lot of accountants. So now SARS was in the process of closing down his business because he was not compliant. Okay. But this person was adding value to the community because he was building, you know, quality houses. Okay. Then I realized that there were a lot of people like him, you know, who were sort of sitting at a position whereby their dreams of you know, running their businesses could have been shattered, particularly because they had no understanding of accounting and tax compliance. Yeah. And also just to understand that you don't need to know the numbers yourself, but you could hire an expert to do this on your behalf. So then I started my own practice. And, you know, me not having the brain of an entrepreneur, at that time I wasn't even thinking this would be a commercial thing because yeah. at that point in time I had just gotten married. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to be pushing an NPO here where I'm helping people. Yeah. Know? But anyway, so the business started, but 
when when I was starting, I realized this. I needed to have conducted some form of research, you know, which other people would call a feasibility study, just to obtain enough information. Because, you know, when you work as an employee, you've got your line manager yeah. that works as your mentor, you know, yeah. someone that you look up to, a person that guides you on how you're doing your work. Yes. But suddenly when you become an entrepreneur, everything is dependent on you, yeah. you know. So therefore, no matter how much skilled you are, you still need to acquire that knowledge on how to run the business, how to manage your own employees if you have employees, yes. you know. So, uh, it, because you become literally the custodian of the assets of your organization. So I spent about six months ensuring that I get or I acquire that knowledge. And subsequent to that, the business started. So that's when it became formal. So it was it was not very hard for us, particularly because almost everyone who's in business needs accountants, yes. right? So therefore, we found ourselves in a position whereby we were closing a niche in the market where everyone is running a business, but they need an accountant to do the numbers, you know, yes. or a tax practitioner, you know, to do the tax compliance. So it's a not an, a, a nice to have, Busi. You know, it's it's more really something that everyone needs. You know, it's not a nice to have. It, it, it's something that we all need. That we all need because, yes. you know, unless they, there's a show in Europe um, called Dragon's Den, a TV show. Yeah. So, you know, in that show, people go and apply for finance. They present to a team of, of wealthy people. And these people will be asking them questions about, okay, we understand that you can blend ice cream and whatnot. You're an expert in that. But tell us about your market capitalization. Tell us about your net profit ratio. So you can't say, oh, no, I can make ice cream, but I don't know about the numbers. Talk to my CFO. Mm -hmm. So now what we are also trying to say is we're not trying to convert our clients into becoming experts, but we are saying you need to bond with the numbers. Understand your numbers so that you can assess if your business is profitable. Yes. Then now when we do all of that, the result becomes also tax compliance because... Once you've, 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 you've run your business, you need to account to the state, you know, yeah. how much you've made so that you can declare your, your earnings and, and sort of pay your, your debt, your debt, uh, your tax debts, if any. Yeah. You know? So when we started, then our primary focus was other than outside of accounting, it was purely tax compliance, which is the computation of tax liability and submission of tax returns. Okay. No, thank you so much, Busi. You know, and and really the other reason why we have you on the show is that because we really want our listeners, you know, to gain information and knowledge that they can go back and apply in their businesses, you know, so that there is value add, you know, um, when our listeners are sort of like, you know, uh, listening to these kind of interviews as well. But now, you know, just before we go into, you know, the next kind of discussion, we will also touch a bit, you know, on issues of the budget speech. Let's start off with some basic definitions, you know. When we hear, you know, business tax planning, you know, uh, concepts, what does it really mean? Especially in the context, you know, of small businesses, you know, startups, you know, and medium businesses. So just, you know, help us understand what business tax planning is all about. And actually, it's a concept that uh, I learned from you uh, during one of our conversations yeah. you know, uh, years back when you said you're not just doing accounting, you know, you're helping your clients, you know, um, with tax planning. Yeah. So just give us a sense, what is really tax planning? You know, so when, when, you, when, you, when you think of what we've just spoken about now, when we started, we were mainly focusing on 
on tax compliance. So maybe if I start with tax compliance so that we could easily understand tax planning. You know, tax compliance, like I said, it's the computation of, of tax obligation and then you submit that to SARS. So it's something that happens after the effect, after you've conducted your services, after you've run your business. Then at the end of the year of assessment, you get an expert or you do it yourself to just submit the tax returns. So there's very little that could be done at the end of the tax year of assessment, right? Now, but when you look at what is happening in our country, like, you know, when I was listening to the budget last week, the budget speech, they're talking about allocating about 7.8 billion rands to uh, the new trainees for SAPS. They talk about allocation to NPA for the state capture they talk about allocation of about 265 million rands to FIC. They're talking about um, SI, SIU, which is the um, special investigative unit. They're allocating about 100 million rands. So when you look at all of these enforcement units being pumped with some budget allocations, it just says to people, government is not playing. Tax compliance is important. So therefore, very few people want to see themselves sitting at state capture because they have to explain how they acquired you know, their assets. So people are now understanding their obligation or their responsibility when it comes to tax compliance. Therefore, we decided as a business that we also need to to follow what is happening in the economy or in the country. So we said we're not going to limit ourselves to tax compliance, but we're just going to expand to tax planning. Now, tax planning, it's whereby now you sit with the tax practitioner before you engage in certain business activities. Okay. You seek for advice. Now, okay, so the, now that's being proactive. That's now. being correct. That's being proactive, right? Okay. Rather than after the effect. So you sit with this person. So an example would be, Let's say you want, you find your business having access to, to cash, for yeah. example. So you're thinking, how do I use this cash effectively so that I get a high return on investment, yeah. right? Then you're thinking, okay, as a business owner, maybe I can I could either invest in properties where I would get rental income, or I could buy shares where I would get dividends, or I could be a labor broker. But then you're thinking, with buying, investing in properties, there's rental income, I'm going to pay tax is at 28%. If I buy shares, there's dividend tax at 20%. If I become a labor broker, that's highly regulated. You know, the trade unions would be all over you. Yeah. So now this is where now you sit with the tax practitioner. You say, let's plan our taxes. Let's decide which one will be the most tax efficient way because I want a high return on my investment. Right. So tax planning happens before you pursue the decision, right? Then at the end of the year of assessment, you are just submitting what you have done, which is tax compliance. So therefore, I encourage business owners and individuals that you get into the habit of tax planning rather than just normal tax Compl compliance. But then this tax planning, you could also, you know, there's this way that you could use interchangeably with, 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 with tax planning called tax avoidance. Okay. So meaning you are legally sit seeking the assistance of an expert, right? Yeah. So tax avoidance is permissible, it's allowed. Whereas there's another one which I don't even want you to remember after this session, which is called tax evasion. 
that's when is you are literally evading, you are running away with yeah. tax. Yeah. So an example I would give would be, let's say maybe you are running um, an economic development company. So you're thinking my business is profitable, but I want to reduce taxes that I pay to SARS. So what do I do? Let me go and acquire a furniture business that is making a loss. Then I'm going to combine those losses plus the profits I'm getting from economic development. Then I'm going to reduce my tax liability. That is tax evasion because now you are combining yes. businesses that are not sort of related. Okay. Yeah. That's very important. Now, thank you so much, Busi, for, for that particular, you know, um, kind of insight and the very practical, <coughs> you know, examples that you've just shared um, with us and our listeners. And and really, you know, I think this whole concept of tax planning for me, um, it starts bordering the lines of saying, you know, this is a value-add service that you offer uh, to your clients, you know, as just, you know, someone doing his or her own normal, uh, you know, SARS uh, issues. Now, you know, I mean, given your experience in terms of what you do with your clients and maybe even, you know, during your days at SARS, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see business owners making time and time again as they deal with their tax matters when it relates, you know, to the tax authority, uh, SARS? What I've witnessed is the lack of record keeping. You know? Record keeping. Lack okay. of record keeping. And um, if you were to submit your income tax return, you submit after 12 months of running the business. If your yeah. financial year begins on the 1st of March yeah. and then you don't keep records on tra of transactions that took place on the 1st of March, you are expected to remember 12 months later what happened on the 1st of March. You're quite unlikely to remember. Yes. You know, so whereas if you keep records, accurate sets of, 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 of records, then it becomes easier, yeah. you know. Um, and another mistake is them not consulting tax experts. You know, Togozani, if you were to have a toothache now, you would not ask Bumelelo to help you with that toothache, you know. You would not ask your friend to help you, but you would go to a dentist, yeah. right? If you want to um, cut your hair, you would not ask a King to help you, <laughs> you yes. know, with the haircuts. You will go to a proper barber. Mm. But when it comes to tax affairs, people suddenly think they are experts. They can manage the taxes of their business themselves, you know. So therefore, it's important that you consult an expert, you ensure that you've got proper advice. And that expert is someone who should be properly registered because, you know, other people, they would work as accountants or as tax consultants. And then when they have issues with their employers, they think, okay, because I've got the qualification, I can run my own tax practice. But the person is not registered as a tax practitioner, okay. meaning is not qualified to give advice. Okay. So therefore it's important that you do that. So which is a mistake that I've seen done by small businesses. Now you find that at the end of the tax of assessment, when you have issues with SAR, SAR says, okay, because there's a new tax act called, you know, they call it new because it's the most recent one. Okay. Tax administration act where they say as a business owner, you have a responsibility to be, to take care of your taxes. But we understand that you are not an expert. Therefore, you can get a tax practitioner sure. to advise you. Okay. Now, if the tax practitioner advises you in a wrong way, yeah. and you can prove to SARS that you had conducted an, or you had used services of an expert, yes. you are somehow absolved from that error. Okay. Right? 
But if now you say, I have this person that I've used and it's the person that is not a qualified tax practitioner. So then unfortunately, you are in trouble. Then you are in trouble. Okay. So it's still to your benefit that you use legit business people. And another mistake I've seen that um, these business people make is, you know, like today, I don't know if you chose this day strategically because most businesses is the end of their financial year. Yeah. yeah, you know, the 28th of February. Definitely, including us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is not a year to start preparing, yes. you know. It's yes. a year to close, <laughs> right? Yeah. To make sure that everything that you have done is put together, it's in the file. Yes. So now if you go through your file, you realize that you don't have some of the documents, I recommend that you contact your external service providers, you request for copies, you okay. know, which is the mistake that small businesses you know, we make. Yes, make. Now, thank you so much, Busa. I think those three very clear, you know, and I really hope our listeners, you know, going forward, uh, they will try and avoid, you know, some of these things that you've mentioned. Now, let's just come back to, you know, the issue of, you know, the budget speech, uh, Busi. On the second, uh, 22nd um, of February, you know, the finance minister, Minister Inokodumwane, uh, delivered the budget speech, you know. How will you describe his uh, budget speech? Will you say, you know, there were any major, you know, tax proposals or, or not really, you know? Um, how will you describe it? You know, tax is a form of, of revenue for government, you know. Like, if you think of government as an entity, how they, they raise income, it's through taxes and through loans. Yeah. Um, but tax becomes sort of um, a constant um, input, you know, all over the world. That's what all countries do. Yeah. Now, you get this tax from human beings, even if other taxpayers are companies, but these companies are run by human beings. beings. Now, you need to somehow prove that these human beings have had an increase in their income for you to be able to tax more, you okay. know. So if their income is stagnant, how do you, justify increasing the taxes, right? So now when I look at the budget speech, I, I realized that there went a lot of tax reforms, but particularly because of what we have suffered as a country, you know, um, you realize that when it comes to household income, not a lot of people had had an increase in their household incomes. You yeah. look even at the Forbes list of, of billionaires, very few of them have shifted from their positions yeah. upwards. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us, Tokozani, those are people we look at. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. kidding. But anyway, so now you even look at the budget speech itself. The minister said he was not going to increase the, wage, the public sector wage bill. Yeah. Now you look at the public sector, they are the biggest employers, right? Yeah. So if the public sector wage bill is not increasing, it means also the pays you earn cannot increase because their salaries will not increase. Okay. So now it means then the minister is stuck. He cannot increase the income tax on, on, on individuals, individuals, right? Yeah. Yeah. You look at the companies, the companies, some companies, you know, since we had the challenges of this pandemic, the COVID-19, yes. they started laying off um, some employees. Yes. Others are work, people are working from home. So it means there's reduction in, in, in revenue yeah. for companies. Now, if there's reduction in revenue, how is the minister going to justify the increase in taxes on companies? Now, you look at something called wealth tax, 
Well, tax, this is tax paid by people who say, by virtue of them saying they have money, then they have to pay, you know, higher taxes. So an example of wealth tax could be donations tax. These are people who are donating. By virtue of you donating, you pay donations tax at 20%. Okay. Look at corporates, companies. Companies have cut down on corporate social investments, meaning there are less donations. So where is the minister going to get more donations tax. Hence, he did not touch on donations tax. Okay. You look at dividends. How many people are investing in shares? You saw during pandemic that a lot of companies were either closing down or the share value was going down. down. Yeah. So therefore, that means that affects the dividends that okay. go to the pockets of the investor. So now if you increase the dividends tax, where are you hoping to get that dividend income from? Right? So therefore, in terms of imposing higher taxes, I saw that as being mathematically impossible. Possible for him. Yes. Yeah. But then he also introduced a bit of tax reliefs where he increased some medical aid rebates. Okay. Those were good because, you know, the medical aid rebates, they reduce the tax that is paid by an individual, which is a way of encouraging individuals to sort of use the private health care so that they could allow the poor people to have access to the public health care facilities. So for that, you get compensated by having a medical aid rebate. So he increased that. He also increased a tax-free amount on retirement. You know, so when you take, when you go on retirement in the past, you a tax-free amount was 500,000 rents. Now it's okay. 550,000. So an example would be if you go on retirement and you get about 700,000 rents, it means 550,000 rents will not be taxed, it will only be taxed on the balance, That's, right? Yeah. He also increased transfer duties, increased it to 1.1 million. He's encouraging young people to buy properties and own properties. Yeah. So, so first-time property buyers, yeah. which is very important Importing. as well in yeah. a country where a lot of people are struggling in terms of decent housing. Yes. So okay. now if you buy a house that costs less than 1.1 million, you will not be paying transfer duties. Right. And then he talks about promoting investments on renewable energy. Uh, yes. You know, um, we have challenges of, of load shedding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some people don't even want to go to work and say, I pray that will have load shedding. We're like, no, no, no. The schedule says we won't have load shedding. <laughs> anyway, so he says... When individuals buy solar panels, those rooftop panels for their houses, for so for home consumption, he's going to give about 25% deduction yeah. and up to a maximum of 15,000 rents per annum. That's for an individual. And for businesses, it's 125% deduction. So that's a way of, of supporting people while we're having these issues of energy. But he's not saying he's not going to try and solve the issues of ESCOM, but he says in the interim, how could we help people. Yeah. But if I may just, you know, uh, jump in uh, on that particular one, you know, that 20%, you know, up to 15,000 for residential properties, um, a lot of us will be asking that question, is it good enough though? Or must we just say it's a good start? You know, because estimate says a good, you know, solar um, power system for residential We'll start from your hundred thousand, you know, up to two hundred thousand. Obviously, depending on the needs, you know, um, of of that particular household and the use, you know, that you'll be looking at, you know. Um, yes, this might have sounded like a very good policy initiative from his side, 
But do you think he could have done better? Or, you know, we must just, you know, be very grateful that at least there was some movement uh, around this particular issue. And then the whole issue of the period as well, you know, because I think these rebates will only be available, you know, um, basically for one year. Um, you know, is, is that, again, you know, a good policy move? Or maybe, you know, there was room for him to say at least in the next two, three years, because we, we all know that load sharing is going to still be a challenge, at least for the next two years, you know, for the country. Just just your, your, your own take yeah. uh, in terms of that specific, you know, announcement. I think I would agree with the latter, whereby we say this was a good start, right? And remember, we can look at, or we could look at 15,000 rands as uh, not a lot of money when you look at an individual. But when this is aggregated, he's talking of, the tax relief of about 13 billion rands, right? I think that's also very important. Thank you so much, Lucy, because I also didn't look at it from that perspective. So I really like that yeah. point. Thank you so much. Yeah, but continue. Okay. So therefore, I think when it comes to that, we are looking at the entire budget basket yes. to say how much is he going to forfeit. Forfeit, let go. correct, yeah. yes. So therefore, for that, I would say that is a good start. Okay. And we also need to remember that the very same us as, as taxpayers or as human beings, as South Africans, we are saying we are poor, um, we cannot even afford these solar panels for like 15,000 rands or for 20,000 rands. But at the same time, we are saying we can afford a solar panel for 100,000 rands, it must give us up to 100,000 rands. And we are saying we cannot afford to pay VAT because we don't have money. But at the same time, give us, you know, but all I can say is this was a good start, yeah. right? Are we hoping the only, for me, thing that I thought maybe could have done better on is to allow us for a longer period because not everyone is going to afford solar panels this year, yeah. right? So maybe if he had allowed it for about three years, because it also needs to synchronize with his solution to ESCOM. So for now, we don't have a clear solution on what's going to happen. As long as ESCOM problem exists, it means the solar panels relief should be there. Okay. Thank you so much, Pussy. Um, I just want to jump um, to the next question. If you don't mind me saying this, um, let me... No, please go you. ahead. Yes. Um, while we were talking about taxes, there's one that I always like talking about, which I find it to be a low-hanging fruit. Um, you know, when I look at the tax budget, he spoke about excise tax. Um, other people call it sin tax, you yes, know, yes. which is on alcohol and tobacco. You know, when you look at the budget, the words that you see... Uh, so this is alcohol and tobacco. He's talking about taxes on that. I hope the young ones can hear me. Yeah, you need to stay away from those things. <laughs> so the words that I hear are increased by, goes up by, increased by, rises by, you know, meaning yes. these kind of taxes are always increasing. So these are low-hanging fruits for him because he's trying to encourage um, us to live or to practice a healthy lifestyle. lifestyle. Right. Yeah. So hence, these taxes are always increasing, although the, what he collects from these taxes is always superficial, but at least it's something that he can do. Because now he says to us he wants to build a hospital in Limpopo that will have about 488 beds. So it means people need health facilities. 
Now, you want to have health facilities that can take care of people that are really sick, not people that are sick because they have, um, you know, brought these things upon themselves by consuming high volume of alcohol and tobacco. But what we have also seen is the way people love these products, irrespective of whether there's an increase or not, they will still be consuming consuming them. But we have to try. Yeah. No, definitely. Thank you so much, Busi. Then, you know, because again, most of our listeners, you know, um, business owners, you know, they're entrepreneurs, others still, you know, work, you know, at least all their business leaders in large companies. So how will, you know, uh, the budget, you know, for 2023 uh, affect small businesses and large companies this year, you know? Uh, just from your own perspective, how do you think this particular budget will affect small businesses and large companies? So, for me, when I look at the budget, whether it's small or large, I think the impact should be relatively the same. Okay. Because you you look at when you when you register a business at CIPC, you register, for example, let's say it's a it's a it's a, 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 a PTY irrespective of the size at that point in time, it would be a pity why whether it's making, you anticipate to make a million rand per annum or you anticipate to make uh, 50 million rands per annum, right? Now, when I look at the budget, even though he's not fully touching on SMMEs or he's not explicit on saying this allocation is for SMMEs, but looking at the nature of projects where he's talking about infrastructure, He's talking about renewable energies. These are contracts that are likely to be earned by big businesses, right? Yeah. But these big, big businesses should be working with small businesses. businesses. Yes. So there is something that we have here in South Africa, which is great, it's called um, uh, BEE compliance, right? So if for a business to be BEE compliance, we not only look, we don't only look at the equity structure. That is, it's owned by a certain number of blacks versus whites. But there are different inputs that go to BE. So we look at um, also skills development. We look at supply development and enterprise development. Development. By enterprise development, what we mean is, as a big business, you must also hire a small business that you'll be working with, you know. So by so doing, you will be also transferring skills and you are empowering this small business in order for it to grow. So he might not have been explicit to say, now I'm touching on SMMEs, but him having these huge projects. I mean, you think of what he mentioned about Kimberley. He said there's a project on repairing the river in water supply. He spoke about tabling them. Those are all huge projects Projects, that we cannot expect just small businesses alone to be working on them. But big businesses should with small small businesses. Exactly. But now, what I find as a shortcoming is, he says in the budget speech, he is going to be fast-tracking the implementation of the public-private partnerships, the triple P's, right? Now, when we are sitting... In 2023, we are saying we'll be fast-tracking the implementation. I'm thinking there should be consequences on companies or on government entities that do not work with small entities. We can't be saying we are fast-tracking the implementation, you know, because when we look at public-private partnership, we are saying this is a mechanism in which the government, you know, 
procure or implement services from a private sector. Yeah. And this private sector, it should include big and small. So meaning the government departments, they should have some KPIs. Have you used private sector? Have you used small businesses in particular? If not, there should be consequences. We shouldn't be talking about fast-tracking and implementation now. Definitely. No, no, no. Thank you so much, Buse. And, and I think, again, we need to look at it from that perspective. You know, the point that we are making around, you know, the infrastructure, the increase in terms of some of the core, you know, um, government departments as well. Uh, and on a lighter note, you know, I think some of the state-owned entities still, you know, managing to get some money. Uh, SAA, you know, I mean, a billion. Uh, I think the post office is at around 2.4 billion. So, you know, um, let's hope those state-owned entities will also play their role in terms of, you know, driving economic development in our country. Busi, now coming back uh, to tax planning, uh, are there tools or resources you think business owners, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, can use to make tax planning more efficient and effective, you know, as possible as, you know, they could, you know, just from your own experience, you know, because we also said, you know, from the show, we want our listeners, you know, to be, to be able to go and apply some of the insight that you've just shared with us, you know, but are there any, you know, tools or resources that sometimes you even recommend to your clients uh, that, you know, small businesses and entrepreneurs can use, you know, to make that tax planning more efficient and effective? Okay, so the first thing to do would be to um, register on e-filing and make sure that you maximize the use of those tax systems. Okay. And if you're struggling with that, you can go to SARS branch and they can help you understand um, how to navigate around e-filing. E-filing systems. Okay, so once you've mastered the system, then if you have a bit of, of, of resources, you can hire a tax consultant. This is a person who would help you with, with that tax planning or with tax avoidance, ensuring that you pay as nominal tax as possible. possible. Yeah. Then I would say invest in technology. You know, invest in technology in your business because technology will help you, you know, tighten the internal controls in your business. So I'll make a use of an example. There's a project that I was working on last week, literally last week. So in this project, they gave us an example. They say there's a person, there's a small business owner. Um, she was selling cups at a flea market. And then this person hired an employee to sell cups for her. So the employee sold these cups and she collected about 30,000 rands, right, from the buyers. Out of these 30,000 rands, she only left 10,000 rands in the safe and then she disappeared. She fled with 20,000 rands, right? So okay. she stole 20,000 rands. Yeah. Now, the question was, these 20,000 rands, how will the business owner account for these 20,000 rands? Now, this business owner did not invest in technology. She did not even have cameras. She did not have anything, you know, yeah. to, to trace this person. But okay. she could conclude that she's the one who stole it because she's the one who was working on this. Okay. Now, the question is, tax-wise, how to account for this 20,000 rands? So what I said then uh, was the 20,000 rands, it's part of what accrued, you know, to this business owner because she's in the business of selling cups. Yeah. And this 20,000 rands was earned as a result of being cups being sold, right? Okay. So therefore it's gross income. It should be part of the taxable income when they account for 
the taxes at the end of the tax year of assessment. Now the question is, even though this 20,000 rands was, had accrued to her, she never received it. But when it comes to gross income, it doesn't matter whether you have received it or not, as long as you were entitled to it. Okay. Right? Now, where tax planning kicks in is now, this person lost this 20,000 rands, meaning as much as it accrued to her, but it was stolen. So it was a loss. So how do you account for something that you have to pay tax on and yet you've never received it and you will never receive it because receive it because this person has disappeared. Has disappeared yeah. Right? Now when you look at the laws, so the tax act says the laws, how was this loss incurred, meaning this theft of money? It was incurred while this person was carrying on trade, meaning this person was selling cups. Cups, yes. And you can relate this sale of cups and this theft of 20,000 rents to the action being employment. There was a major action here called employment. The person who stole was employed. employed. And employment is the one that gave rise to this loss because unless the person was employed, the person wouldn't have stolen. Yeah. So therefore, this loss qualifies to be called an expenditure that was incurred in the production of income, meaning this owner incurred this loss while she was trying to generate income. So now it is for this owner to prove that employment was necessary, meaning she couldn't have sold the cups herself. So, she needed this thief <laughs> to yeah. come and sell and obviously eventually uh, steal, which was not part of the arrangement. But the owner also needed to prove that she was not negligent, meaning she didn't just grab a person from the streets and say, hey, come and sell cups for me. Yeah. She hired this person and she assumed this person was ethical. So she tried to vet this person. So now, because she can prove all that, so she can then get a deduction, meaning when it comes to tax submission or tax computation, she can okay. say, I earned this gross income of 20,000 rand, but this 20,000 rand subsequently became a loss because I incurred it while I was trying to earn this income. Okay. Therefore, this loss must be deducted. Therefore, I must pay zero as tax. So the burden of proof is on this employer, it's on this lady. Okay. So therefore, this is tax planning. Unless you have a tax expert, you might lose out on this case, find yourself having to pay tax on something that you never even received. Definitely. You know, I, I think, you know, we get that point to say it's also very important to have this external objective professional person uh, who assists you in terms of your tax planning matters as well. Busi, as we move towards the end of our interview, uh, do you have any final advice you may want to share or anything that you think we might have, you know, missed in this interview? Just, you know, your, your closing remarks, you know, uh, on both, you know, issues of tax planning, any point that you might want to just really emphasize and maybe any just, you know, that one key takeaway uh, that we haven't touched on in terms of the budget speech for 2023. So what I can say to Ozan, when you look at the emerging businesses, uh, sometimes, you know, people find themselves, you know, having a lot of money, other people might win lots or, you know, and then they want to start businesses. But you're thinking you've never even sold a lollipop, now you want to start a business, yeah. right? But it's important that you do a proper research before you run a business. But what I could advise on is, while you're doing that research, just download the budget speech 
and see how much the government is allocating to each department. That should sort of give you a clear guide on where money is. So, for example, let's say the department—I mean, the the minister is is giving a, a is allocating a lot on, like for example, is allocating a lot on transport and sanitation, where he says he's going to give them about three hundred and fifty-one billion rands. Um, he's going to give water and sanitation about one hundred and thirty-two billion rands. So, what that means is we'll start seeing a lot of tenders going out for these you know, departments. Yeah. Now, when there are those tenders, because you are an emerging business, the likelihood of you getting that tender, you know, is 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 is, unlike, is very low, but they will give to big businesses. But remember, we spoke about big businesses partnering with small businesses. So you are likely, therefore, to get an opportunity in that sector because a lot of funds are being plowed into those departments. So rather than saying, I want to start a business where I'll be selling shoes while there's no budget that talks to shoes, you know, that's just an example. And then you also need to look at the government interventions. He says he has, he will have a lot of interventions in supporting the health and sustainability of this economy. So do a research around that, you know, what areas are key in terms of, you know, having our profitable economy. So things like renewable energies, things like climate change, you know, he touched on having electric vehicles. So maybe if you were to look at projects around that, you know, that is something where you say, okay, there's a bit of comfort where I know that I'm likely to make money with I'm involved in those kind of projects because even also the government has interest in that area. Busi, thank you so much for taking time out. Um, I know that you are also not feeling very well, but you still decided that you do want to come through and share your insight and your knowledge you know, um, with our listeners, we really, really value, you know, your time. We know that you are a very busy person. And I'm sure that our listeners will agree with me to say you have shared a lot of practical knowledge that they'll be able, you know, to apply in terms of their businesses so that we can have businesses that are profitable. And I think you did make that particular point, you know, to say sometimes people can run a business, but is it profitable? You know, that's the key question, you know, but the second question, is it sustainable? You know, you can start a business, you know, but is it going to be around for the next five years, for the next 10 years? And really having entrepreneurs like yourselves, you know, who have been running their own businesses for a number of years now, you know, um, if I'm not mistaken, you've got almost like 15 years running your own business, you know, and employing people, you know, and this is what we need in this country, you know, small businesses, you know, I didn't even touch about, you know, female uh, leadership, you know, um, because I think really um, entrepreneurs like yourselves are also proving that young, you know, black females, they can also make it out there as well. So we really appreciate you sharing, you know, your insight um, with us as well. And we are now coming to the end of this particular interview. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Economic Development Radio. For more information or if you want to subscribe so that you can receive all the episodes that we are recording, please visit www.economicdevelopmentradio.org so that you can subscribe. This is your host, Togozane Twala. Until our next episode, thank you. Cheers.